welcome to another solo kabur's podcast uh, old friend old mentor special uh, i keep doing uh, i keep digging up my old uh, contacts and uh, friends and mentors who have inspired me over my life and and while going through my contact list i stumbled upon this happy accident and it's not really a happy accident i keep following him on facebook but uh, the idea to do a podcast with him immediately stuck the moment i saw his name because i very vividly remember his storytelling abilities and i thought there couldn't be any better podcast guest than my current podcast guest sai prasad sir sai prasad vishwanathan his full name welcome to the podcast sir thank you very much for doing this it is a pleasure uh, najib i'm very very happy to connect back with you as always uh, so let's let's get started then yeah let me get started by telling folks why is my podcast guest as i said he is one of my old long time mentors uh, former tedx speaker the first asian with a physical disability to reach antarctica a consultant and including one of his clients including amir khan for satyamev jayate on which he was also a guest on that show um startup founder which was uh, of shastra and gmat analytics which was uh, acclaimed by the harvard university and an absolute champion of the rights and issues of physically disabled people especially in our country and for my personal favorite of all these things is he is a brilliant mentor for gmat coaching and he's not paying me any money to market his startup here this is this is coming straight from the heart and sai prasad sir you can assure that we are basically meeting after 7 years and there is i'm saying this with no influence are <laughs> it's you you're being very kind it's 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 just part of my job to guide people so you're you're very kind in saying that pleasure pleasure uh so here's the thing so we're going to keep this podcast like a christopher nolan movie the beginning will be the end the middle will be the beginning and mm-hmm. the the end will be the beginning all right so it's going to jumble all over the place so um this podcast title mm-hmm. will have some clickbait so my clickbait is uh, your trip to antarctica so let's get the clickbait out of the way mm-hmm. uh and we we'll get started with okay. antarctica trip that you did how did that come by you you are this random hyderabadi working as a consultant in in the corporate world like everybody else like 10000 other people how did you end up in antarctica okay so let me tell you the true story and let me tell you the media version as well right oh yeah so the true story is i passed my uh, i passed my 10th class second. with one may, may may ask you to yeah. tell the yeah. media story first please because that would be more uh, contextual in in, yeah, in sure, a way yeah sure 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 so effectively the story goes that uh, i'm the first uh, asian with a disability to step foot on the antarctic continent a uh-huh. uh, part of the theme is that in our country people believe or associate the word disability with the word karma mm-hmm. and the book that talks about karma also talks about life having five elements which is uh, sky earth water fire and air okay and uh, the whole aspect is that only a person with complete physical ability and uh, cerebrospinal splinters can experience all the five elements hmm. uh so that kind of turned a little turned me off a little bit when i first went through it and i thought if i could go ahead and show people or send a message that uh, as a person who cannot walk or is affected with a spinal cord issue if i can experience those five elements uh then it is not my disability that prevented me from any experiences in life Uh, it is the fact that there were no enabling systems in place or any infrastructure in place that will go ahead and uh, you know prevent me from experience life in full 
So it all started with Sky. I was the first Indian with a disability to skydive in the US. Uh, I did that to actually celebrate my mom's birthday. Uh, there was a coincidence on her mom's birthday. And uh, when I first experienced Sky, uh, you know, it was it was a thrilling moment back then. It was about like 10, 12 years back. So it was still a big deal back then. Right now, everybody uh, jumps off a plane and, you know, do stuff. Back then, uh, once the Sky got done, uh, it was really surprising because effectively, uh, you know, in our country, the word inspiration is quite often misinterpreted or misused mm -hmm. because what happens in our country is when a person undergoes suffering and uh, effectively, you know, overcomes that suffering, then others look up to that person and say he or she is an inspiration. Uh, but for me, that is not an inspiration because effectively, uh, true inspiration for me is when you ask, why did that person even suffer? and then ensure that no person again suffers for the same reason uh, so you know in on a college day when i just went to visit my college as an alumni uh, it so happened that you know there was this lady uh, whose son was also a person with disability and she looked at me and said you know uh, look at sai he had managed to wrap up his college life uh, you also climbed the three floors you will also manage to go ahead and excel uh, but that kind of didn't really sit well with me because I started to wonder, uh, you know, why is it that generation after generation keeps suffering for the same problems? And then we look up to each other as inspiration instead of questioning why exactly the fundamental problem even exists. Yes. So in that pursuit, I actually made a fantastic video uh, saying, you know, how do we overcome, uh, you know, detrimental facilities for people with disabilities? And I put that on YouTube and uh, two people watched, me and my friend. Hmm. Uh, I had to promote it, but nobody cared for it. Uh, but surprisingly, what happened when I skydived was that, you know, I kind of uh, went viral. People were like, you know, here is a person with disability coming from a lower middle class family and he's going ahead and skydiving. And if he could do things, I can do things as well. So there was that masala around uh, that skydiving event, which kind of became pretty big. And that's, mo that's the moment I also realized that probably instead of sticking to some core principles, maybe I should market the message out in a different way. And so post sky, uh, skydiving for sky, I started to think further. So for earth, I took a trip to Grand Canyon. Uh, I lived in the valleys of Grand Canyon for, a, for like a week. We took a helicopter inside the canyon and like stayed with a couple of friends. And effectively what happened there was there was no signal on the phone and we just mm. took some couple of pretty pictures and came out. There's not much of an impact post that. Then came the big one, which is water. Mm. And for water, there were two options. One was either scuba dive, which is what honeymoon couples do. So I didn't see a big impact on the same. I thought, you know, why don't we think bigger? Uh, so, you know, that's when I recalled uh, that back then uh, in my class 10th, I barely passed social exam by one mark. Mm. I didn't even know where, uh, you know, which continent lied in map pointing and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was severe criticism when I kind of went uh, to the US to pursue my master's program uh, right. saying, you know, uh, can you live independently? Can you take a bus? Can you survive on your own? Can you wear clothes? Can you kind of take care of things? And uh, so I wanted to send a message that if a person, uh, you know, if I could go ahead and experience something big, maybe the message will go out to people. So yeah. for water, uh, there came the intersection of the Pacific Atlantic Ocean uh, close to the Antarctic continent. Right. And I thought I could go ahead and take a, what is called as a polar plunge. You mm -hmm. dive into the intersection of the two oceans. And since the Antarctic continent is pretty close by, uh, we thought, you know, I might as well go up till there 
and uh, set foot on that continent, which no Indian or no Asian with a disability has done over the right. thousands of years. Right. So that was the origin of the story. And uh, I'll be happy to run you through any specific details. If you want. <laughs> right. This is the media version or this is your version. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, this is, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead, please go ahead. A mix of both, is, is that what you said right now? Yes, yes, yes. Right. So what happens, uh, you should think, Najib, is in hindsight, everything looks like a clean story. Mm. Uh, but in reality, what happens is that, you know, when I did skydiving, I had never, I never had the idea that I would go to Antarctica one day. Mm. Uh, you know, when I went to Grand Canyon, I didn't even imagine that I would be jumping uh, at the intersection of the Pacific and the Atlantic. Right. Uh, it's it, it all comes together. So what, what I learned from life is that uh, you just need to have at least a small vision, mm. a vision saying, you know, at the end of the day, if my life is a book, uh, what moral should come out of it. Right. And uh, I think that thought was a guiding force and things just came together at the right moment. And uh, here mm. I am telling the story. What, what, what was it like? What, what, tell, tell, us, tell us about something that we can't experience on a National Geographic documentary. Right? <clears throat> so it's like, I mean, nature yeah. is a total bitch, right? It's not, it has no, yeah. uh, it has no business. It has no affinity to give any favors to the human being. It can be, bite, it, it can bite you, it can kill you. So uh, what, what can you tell the, that we as uh, normal people cannot realize sitting on our sofa and watching you go to Antarctica? The first thing is that the island stinks uh, literally three miles away. Oh, so yeah. I was on a ship and the first sign that the Antarctica continent and the land is turning up is that there will be a stinking smell. Mm-hmm. And why is that stinking smell coming? Because there are millions of thousands of penguins that crap on the shore. Oh, literally. Yeah. So that stink is there. So you are, you know, literally traveling there, hoping to see this beautiful continent. Mm. But what you would experience is, you know, first that very, very bad stink. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's point one. Point two is you're on the ocean literally for three or four days. So there'll Mm -hmm. be seasickness Mm -hmm. and you would be puking and vomiting. You wouldn't have had a proper bath. And most importantly, there is something called the wind chill factor. A lot of time we only look Mm -hmm. at the temperature uh, based on what is being reported. Mm-hmm. But there is a wind chill factor uh, where the coldness in the wind and it's very heavy open lands and the wind that is freely flowing all the time. Yeah. It tends to cut the soft skin that is just there below your eyes. Uh, so there are constantly wow. blisters up here and uh, it burns. Uh, so effectively, the first three things you feel on the continent is a stink. Uh, there is a burn and then you're tired uh, and you're like, what's the whole point of actually coming here and when you step foot on the continent the first many pebbles and rocks Hmm. and you know i couldn't even place my crutch at a proper place to stand and it gets very steady so you're wondering at one moment as to what is the whole point of all this and what happens if you know i go back and then tell people you know here i have uh, set foot on this continent and then people simply say, hey, so what big deal? You know, you could have done much, much better if, you know, you had just stayed back and like, you know, help yeah. people with a couple of other things. So uh, that's that's the three unknown things. Uh, the beautiful things are once you get used to the island and you go a little interior, uh, you would, on the, when the night literally sets in and it's mm-hmm. roughly two or three hours of night in the summer, you'd literally see uh, the end of the Milky Way galaxy. I mean, the millions and millions of stars. And effectively, I think, 
I have grown tired of explaining how beautiful it is. And the biggest challenge since then has been uh, to share in words how beautiful that feeling is and, mm. you know, failing at it constantly and then being disappointed with myself. So I'm not even going to attempt to explain how beautiful that is. Right. The second thing is it's so silent uh, that you can literally hear uh, the sound of whales around and uh, wow. effectively the call to each other, uh, literally nobody at the continent. Mm. And therefore, um, it's this, this particular lake, uh, which is probably the world's best place to meditate. Uh, it's so one clean, pristine and clear. And you can literally feel nature around you. But one distressing thing, like I said, is the constant bend uh, that mm. can get to your nerves. Uh, apart from that, for an Indian, seeing the snowfall is a big deal. Uh, so South unless Indian, you have already especially. been to Manali or have lived yeah. in the US, South Indian, uh, seeing the snow is a big deal. So, yep. Uh, looking back, the most beautiful moment was just staring into the stars and knowing that, you know, you, you have made it to a place where, you know, at the end of life, uh, you can tell yourself that, hey, I have seen a couple of places uh, in life which uh, resembles uh, how the planet was when man first came into being. Mm. And that that experience makes it all worth it. Did did you come back a different person after that trip? Did anything change in you? Did any attitude change in you? What what did you learn? Uh, so there are three to five learnings, right? First mm-hmm. up, I think, uh, let me give you the context to before I went. I think right. before I went in there, uh, I had graduated from ISB very recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, as an MBA grad, I was this like, a proud management consultant with Deloitte. And, you know, I thought that was the be and end of the world. Mm. But what that journey of Antarctica did over that one month was that it made me meet uh, 50 to 60 really wonderful people around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 15 to 20 odd ship members, the crew members, whose only job is over the three months, uh, they would, you know, take people to the continent and get them back. And then yeah. in the remaining three months, they would take them to Arctic and get them back. And when I asked them what really motivated them to pursue such a job, mm. it's just that they just wanted to be one with nature. I mean, mm. uh, it, it kind of is fascinating when I heard, I know there was this uh, lady captain of a ship who told me that it's beautiful to live life with just one thought. The one thought being that I am a traveler and I just explore life. Uh, wow. There is no purpose to it. There is no end to it. I just keep traveling up and down. My ancestors were nomads. And uh, as long as I have food, clothing, and shelter, uh, I am more than happy to just see world and keep ferrying people around. Uh, so that's just one perspective. Uh, you know, it can sometimes get to your nerves as to how can yeah. people be that, uh, you know, take that sort of an approach to life. The second thing is that once you uh, see Earth at its pristine beauty, uh, nothing else in life excites you that much because you yeah. travel all the way to the continent. And you have seen, you know, something as pure, as beautiful and as natural as it is. Mm. And then you come back to your home and you wonder, you know, uh, are we literally living on the same planet? And what happens is because of that, you will start to wonder, you know, uh, is there anything I can do to preserve that part of the nature as it is? Uh, there have been calls where they are saying Antarctica should be the last place that should be left alone by human beings, uh, you know, so that its pristine nature is uh, preserved for all the times to come. Uh, you, even if you don't want 
uh, you would start talking about preserving the environment. I mean, I wasn't mm. an environmental activist before I went there. Uh, mm. But when I came back, I knew that, you know, there must be some part of the planet that must be retained as it is so that it can inspire a generation of people and remind them that this is where we came from. Mm. So I think a big part of me became empathetic to the cause. Uh, I think a big part of me also became more understanding that life is not about a rat race. Uh, mm. You don't, technically speaking, if there was a checklist of things that Indian society wants you to do, uh, whether it be engineering, MBA, management consulting job, a startup, I had checked all that list. And uh, as per the definitions of the, and the formula of the Indian society to be happy, uh, I should have been, you know, probably the top five happiest people on earth. Uh, but singularly speaking, this journey uh, is something that will remain with me, mm. uh, not because, you know, it brought happiness, but I think mm. it brought peace within myself that at the end of the day, it's not the achievement that matters. It is how, han- how have you seen life uh, at mm. its core beauty? How have you seen and met people? How have you listened to their stories and enjoyed their stories and, you know, were part of their story as well? And yes. I'll never forget the night when I sat down next to that uh, lady and we were talking under the stars as the ship was floating around. And the way she was explaining her story, she literally had nobody uh, whom she can call relatives. She didn't mm. have a defined job. Uh, but at that moment, she was completely present with me. And I think that's that's... That's a that's an approach to life that I wouldn't even have thought about, or that's an approach to life nobody even taught me. Yeah, and I think uh, it gives you a larger context, and through that, I found my peace. Right, uh, you have uh, told so many profound things. Let me uh, drop the bar a little by saying something silly. Of course, when you when you come back from Antarctica and you see the Musi River of the Hyderabad, you obviously you'll become an environment activist. Come on, how <laughs> that's. That, that was bound to happen. Uh, why has your story captivated millions? Millions on online and thousands, of course, offline when you meet uh, people, right? So what, what is it that really uh, people associate? What, what, what are the most beautiful, most kind things that people uh, tell you when, when they meet you, right? Uh, which really makes you feel happy, which really makes you feel like you've, uh, you've really accomplished at least part of your uh, goal, whatever it is. Okay. Uh... So just to be honest on that, right? I think mm. what what has always surprised me is, uh, okay, uh, let me give you a different context to this. Mm-hmm. I don't think when I was a child or a student at college, mm-hmm. uh, people perceived me as a competition. I mean, one way my life is different from others is that people don't get jealous of my life uh, because, you know, oh. effectively, they never expected me to kind of excel big Mm. Uh, so therefore i was never in the competition fray Mm. and when i was not in the competition fray and would accomplish uh, they would see my life as a progress from a point where there were zero expectations to something that he has accomplished that comes from their own perception i am not calling that perception good bad right or wrong Mm. Uh, but it's what it has showed me is that uh, when people come down and tell me uh, whatever it is that i have accomplished what it tells me very clearly is that they are able to see the goodness in the work of a complete stranger such as me. And that means deep down humans are good and they don't want to be competitive. Uh, They want to draw inspiration from each other's stories and they want to kind of, you know, make it big in their own way. 
uh, it's got nothing to do with me it's got uh, everything to do with what uh, the person wants to feel mm. uh, in a normal world also i think uh, we can easily draw inspiration from each other uh, but the reason we probably don't do is we probably think of our peers as competitors and our seniors as potential threats and the juniors as probably valueless to add uh, anything yes. to our lives so that kind of adds a little color to our judgment but from my life i could say that when that perception was removed mm. people were able to assess and understand that you know here is a story of a person who uh, did not on whom there were not many expectations in the beginning mm-hmm. but a progress was made and if he could do it i could do it and then they started to relate uh, themselves to that story and mm. since each person's own view of himself or herself is not guided by a color uh mm-hmm. they started to see inspiration so i don't really think i specifically did anything to achieve or create inspiration into people mm-hmm. i think it's people's perception of my work and you know their honest and uh, in a in a lot of way kindness as well uh, yeah. to look and take time out for my work and and that's what has uh, made the big deal or the big difference in my life. right uh, let, let's shift the conversation a little bit to how people with disabilities are treated in our society right tell tell, tell me some good mm-hmm. things and b- bad things uh, about how uh, about how we treat uh, people with disabilities in our families societies friend circles you name it <laughs> okay so i have to take two views to this mm-hmm. uh, both on the good and the bad as well mm-hmm. one a male view and a female view just to be on the fair side okay. right uh, as a guy i could go ahead and say the good things like i said is in general life or normal life also people don't see us as a threat to other people's lifestyles mm-hmm. i understand that we are a resource constrained country uh, you know whether it be infrastructure space money economy anything there is yeah. competition at the end of the day yeah. so nobody looks at us as a threat to their mm. livelihood mm. Uh, so the extreme version of it is sympathy uh, the opposite end of the spectrum is uh, complete apathy yeah uh, so, so on a scale of 1 to 10 with one being i don't really care about his life to uh, 10 being ayo papam why is his life like this mm. i think we as indians uh, especially the younger generation the millennials are at a sweet spot of 5 or 6 mm-hmm. i think i've i've been fortunate enough to be some with some really really good friends during college days uh, who absolutely never made me feel any different right uh, the bad part uh if i could say that is you know at the end of the day in our country uh, when i come back to my family the struggles are still real uh for instance you know there was rain in hyderabad just 3 days back and uh, you know the lift the elevator didn't work and uh, that means i would now have to climb two or three stairs right uh and two or three floors and you know at that time i cannot simply say hey i went all the way to antarctica i am uh, this uh, mba grad from isb so i this should not be a big deal uh the struggle still exists uh the insurance uh, health insurance does not cover people with uh, pre existing medical conditions mm. uh it's a huge huge problem because effectively that means i just don't know uh, how even a small cold that i contract will be linked to my pre existing condition and suddenly the insurance wouldn't cover it just to kind of give you a context to that when i came back right. from antarctica i was severely sick and uh, you know the insurance companies refused to cover the same and effectively so i have to live under constant fear so the fear is real uh, the struggles are real 
a lot of people you know also say you know i have had some heard i have heard not uh, had mm-hmm. i have heard some poor remarks where people said you know if a person is with a disability uh, there was one of my friends uh, who uh, you know who lost his limbs in an accident mm-hmm. and uh, then people's immediate comment to cheer him up was are at least now you get uh, a government job or you get a reservation Wow. Uh, you get admitted into the iams or something Oof. yeah so that does happen uh, but yeah it it happens on a uh, let us say a subtle thing spirit it is uh-huh. there is a, a subtle humor to it uh-huh. uh, but there is the underlying cruel reality at the end of the day uh, because you know uh, just as just as an example if i could quote uh, this character called tyrion lannister in game of thrones uh-huh. uh, he was this witty sarcastic dwarf Yeah. but deep down there was a lot of sorrow as well yes so i think the bad part is that uh, there is that underlying current of hey his life is actually probably easy given mm-hmm. the government jobs reservation somehow it settled the reality is still not that uh, a lot of people are experiencing it's like you know you have uh, a lockdown permanently in life you know right. a lot of people are understanding right now the sufferings of just staying at home uh just imagine uh for over 30 years i couldn't go to parties i couldn't go to uh, public places you know i just had to be with a limited set of friends keep my distance be mm-hmm. careful about my uh you know health and so on and so forth that's the fear that i have been living in so covid is something that's not new to me it's probably new to the world that state of mind so right. that's from a male perspective mm. uh now coming from a female perspective because till about probably i was 25 26 years old i never even had met a girl with a disability so right uh, as i you know as i had traveled and met more and more people and came to know more and more uh, stories mm. i think it is also important and very vital to represent the girl and the female perspective on this mm. which is the plenty of abuse that happens uh, whether it be inside family uh, at the university or even online uh, you know where i think uh, just as an example a few days back one of my close friends was like literally abused over a chat just you know being called as like a lungdi or whatever it is i think it is an unnecessary uh, uh interpretation of the disability and calling someone out online uh, in an abusive form mm. uh, is something that is both reflective of the deep rot and the culture within our country uh, some people's culture within our country as well as the fact that nothing much can be done to overcome such situations hmm. so if i were to classify uh, the good and the bad i think uh, the good is that uh, there is the millennial mindset and the group of people who are coming up in the next generation hmm. who are much much more sensitive hmm. uh, the bad part uh, for a guy is that there is that the disability is real at the end of the day no matter what hmm. you actually say you're going to live with it it's like living with a medical condition on life uh the bad case is even more profound with uh, girls uh, as with guys at least with guys i think the parents are a little more open to sending them yeah. to schools colleges and so on girl, with girls be, that's not yeah, the yeah. Case. being being born as a girl itself is considered as a curse in few societies yeah. and it's a yeah, double whammy right being a girl then being disabled yeah hmm. that's that's effectively that is uh, i think what has happened is that i you know when i have the voice to speak on a platform such as this hmm. uh you know it had required me honestly najib that i do five or six activities to even become uh, come to this platform and speak just as an example right okay 
uh, let's say when I had to speak at TEDx, uh, I had to go ahead and accomplish certain things. Mm. Uh, what happens with people with disabilities is that barrier to accomplish in order to overcome that barrier, there must be tremendous support that needs to happen. Yes. You know, in spite of all the things that I have, uh, my life story could simply be ending, ending up with saying, hey, that guy was simply lucky. He had a great family and he had a great support system. So effectively, uh, imagine taking my story for a girl really wants to convince her parents saying she should also want to study yeah. abroad. Uh, I think they'll simply say, you know, we just can't afford it. Uh, he was lucky enough. Things worked out for him. But all said and done, uh, the single biggest reason why the problem still pursue like in my view, continues to persist is because there is no one's neck that is on the line when, you know, uh, I suffer. In other words, if I go to a particular place and it is not accessible, who loses mm. his job? Okay, whom do I complain to? Yes. Whose responsibility is it? Who should take accountability for it? So because of this attitude, uh, I get lifted on a chair and then thrown into a restaurant. Uh, so that I can, you know, have uh, food with my friends. Hmm. But if I could go ahead and complain and, you know, there would be court cases or government issues or taxation issues that come into picture just because it's not accessible. Yeah. Uh, if someone's neck or head is on the line, uh, then automatically things change. Yes. I realized this first up when the IT firms in our country hmm. uh, made their campuses accessible yes. just because foreign foreign clients would come and visit. Uh, but then, uh, <laughs> you know, you will follow the American Disability Act in India just because your clients are American. Uh, but then the Indian companies, uh, effectively, if you don't do it for our own people, I think it is just that culture of sab kuch chalta hai and, you know, the fact that we don't implement our policy seriously, uh, that is the biggest challenge. Then what is unique about us Desi people in the way we take uh, our ability for granted, right? So for example, like uh, I, I was very ignorant of the issues of disabled people until I had my own friend who who does not have a bunch of fingers in his hand. I don't want to take his name. I don't want to uh, tell people how he's my friend. But I looked at him, I looked at him, I looked at his hand and said like, um, this guy will never be able to do a pull up in his life in a gym. And that, that is, that is where I, uh, my perception changed in the sense that man, I sh I'm so lucky to be walking on two legs. I'm so lucky to be able to mm -hmm. hang over a bar and do some exercises mm -hmm. in the gym. Right. So uh, do you get really frustrated when people take their able bodies for granted? Uh, honestly speaking, Najib, nobody has the time to think about other people. We are constantly mm -hmm. worried about how we are perceived by other people. Right. But if I were to take my 24 hours in a day, uh, in the 24 hours, the amount of time I spend thinking about others is probably less than probably 5-10 minutes. Mm. Not even 5-10 minutes. But I'm constantly thinking about how other people perceive me. Mm. Uh, so from that context, uh, I think Indians are unique in a way that uh, we don't, we are probably not comfortable speaking out our negatives openly out in the open mm. because we quickly build a stigma around on it. This also happened with COVID uh, very recently. Yes. You know, when a particular patient is down with COVID, every family around him or her started to panic. Mm. So I think uh, what has happened because of that centuries of stigma around disability is that uh, mm. till my father's generation or probably a part of my generation as well, uh, you know, people were not comfortable talking out openly. 
Mm. On top of that, there were no, not a very strong educational or communicational skill background to talk about things openly. Mm. Uh, and subsequently, uh, add on top of that, there is a very strong familial structure in our country. Right. So if there is a problem in the family, we try to hush it up in the family. Uh, we don't take off, take care of it in the open. Yes. Uh, for instance, there were days, you know, back during my college days, uh, I was, uh, you know, standing at a bus stand. Mm. There was not much help. Hmm. The first remark that came out from a lady was, how did your parents even leave you here alone? You know, uh, it was, the question is, where did you want to get to? Yeah. How can I help? Okay. But if the question is, why did your parents leave you? It's as if parents are kept accountable to where their child is or why they are suffering and not the system as a whole. Yeah. I think uh, part of the blame, I think Indian culture, because of its family structure is beautiful in a lot of ways. But it is also, it can also get nerve wracking on some other areas where they try to hush up the negative aspect. Uh, they try to take responsibility for things that they are not even guilty of. Mm. Okay. My family was not guilty of my disability. So they don't yes. really need to take accountability or responsibility for the same. But the country makes it feel as if, you know, these people are responsible for it. So they, there is this fear mentality that constantly develops. For instance, I go and let's say play a sport. I fall mm. down. Hmm. I get injured. Uh, the first thing a doctor might remark is, Are, uh, kyun chhoda pe? You know, or hmm. I go to a playground, the PT master might say, you know, I, I, don't, I won't take responsibility oh. if the guy. Yeah, there goes goes right. so effectively, hmm. that, yeah, we are a risk averse culture. We hmm. are a family tight culture. We are a uh, stigma on negativity culture. And that's again, all driven by the fact that resources are very minimal. Hmm. And, there's no, I'm, there was a time in my life where my blood was boiling and I was younger and I would blame the system for it. But I understand right now uh, in my 30s that, look, uh, this is how people are going to be. Mm. But the least thing that we could do is make another person's life a little easier. And right. when I say a little easier, that kind word or that uh, supportive word that could come out of the mouth in a critical moment can make all the difference. Uh, I'm not saying put the person on a pedestal or, you know, uh, call him inspiration whenever he just wakes up in the morning and walks to the bed. Uh, I'm saying, let's say he's at a bus stop, uh, you know, just wait for him to get into the bus before you climb in. Or let's say you're at a mall and the elevator opens. I mean, I've seen this thousands of times at in orbit uh, where, you know, the elevator is always almost completely full and, you know, people just keep getting in and getting out. And because the wheelchair is pretty bulky, unless there is space for four people to fit in, uh, I cannot get in. So effectively, I just keep waiting. The average wait time for a person with disability to get into an elevator at an orbit mall, if I could go ahead and do a research on that, that will be easily three or four times higher than normal. I think the smallest of things like that right. can make a person feel that, hey, the community is making space for me. Uh, we are not going to lose anything. I think the best, two most beautiful things that happened in my life was when my college shifted its labs to the ground floor right. uh, instead of the third floor. And that made a world of difference to me, not because mm. it became easier uh, to do the labs, but because it sent me a message that my college was going <laughs> to do this for me, which means I better study properly and do better in life. Mm. Uh, another area was uh, where my college canteen owner, uh, I was really, really worried. Uh, 
uh, due credits to him when the cognizant when a particular company cognizant came for placements mm. uh, that was the first company that came for placements and i was really worried back then whether companies would recruit a person with a disability mm. and uh, i had all the percentages i was the college topper and effectively i thought look uh, if they reject me uh, i am going to be mentally down and uh, as nervous uh, and you know i didn't know what to do and the college canteen owner saw this he came down to me and he asked why do i look a little down he had that empathy to ask so i told him i couldn't tell my hod i couldn't tell my college counselor i told him i'm worried on this and he provided a simple solution he said like koi baat nahi bhaiya we'll speak and uh, we will arrange your interview post lunch hmm. so i'll bring the hr down for lunch and when he's having lunch in the canteen you go and sit in the interview room uh, so the arrangement was that uh, my interview was scheduled immediately post lunch the hr went down for lunch i went into the interview room mm. when the lunch was done and the hr came in i was already in the room mm. and the interview began and got done and only after the interview was done uh, the hr came to know when i stood up that i had this disability and his first reaction was oh uh, that oh told me that uh, there was you know uh, the association with uh, stigma but by then he had made his decision internally also to select me so it was now a clear battle between uh, the stigma or discrimination against selecting me he did select me due credits to him and due credits to the canteen owner as well who thought this through back then i think little things that like that uh, tell us that the society still cares i'm i don't imagine that by the time my life ends you know our country will be completely accessible mm. but i hope that by the time my life ends there are at least you know 100 or 120 people like me uh who have experienced life at its most beautiful and its best mm. and who have had the support system uh even in our country you don't really need to be educated my college canteen owner was not uh, trained on inclusivity and diversity initiatives and all he right. just knew that i was down and that's just basic ability to empathize with people a lot of indians have it i think as a culture if we can show it to people beyond our immediate family Right. Uh, I think we are uh, one step away from complete magic. Wow. I I told you this podcast would be like a Christopher Nolan movie so I would have to go to the start. Uh where did you come from sir? I mean you have done things that no one ever imagined would do, right? You completed uh, you got admission into a top Hyderabad college and graduated from engineering. You did your masters in us which i was too lazy enough to do uh, and you did you did your mba from isb and you you went to antarctica you did skydiving where did you come from what what, what are your origin story so i was born in a little village in uh, tamil nadu it's a place called uh, lalgudi uh, right mm-hmm. now it's a town in the tirunelveli district my father worked for railways and uh, you know i was born with this disability and uh, obviously back in the 80s this was a huge even bigger stigma Mm. Uh, then you can imagine so i took a transfer uh, we came down to hyderabad uh, there were about seven to eight schools that i studied in uh, mm. because again uh, i had a neurogenic bladder condition as well uh, which means uh, i don't have control over bladder functions uh, which could mean that parents of children who would study along with me would be worried if their child would get infected right uh, because of me right. so multi- i had to change a few schools mm. and uh, I, like i said because of that constant disturbance initially i didn't have many friends uh you know my education was poor till about class 10 mm-hmm. uh but then what happens is that there comes a phase in everybody's life i think 
if i could tell one message to people i would say you only need three or four good years in life mm. not even four good years you just need about 30 or 40 days of complete <laughs> madness and disciplined effort and your life would turn around forever so i had one such period uh, during my intermediate when i was completely focused on education mm. just because again i had the right set of friends uh, who who were equally passionate about education and who had similar background as me Right. Yeah, I would say we were like a bunch of uh, underdogs or losers who were put together in a very low section in intermediate, saying you all are never going to score any rank. And I think that gave us freedom. And uh, once again, uh, when people have no expectations, I think you have that great freedom. And uh, things worked out well during intermediate. I joined my uh, engineering in CBIT College. Like I said, uh, the classes were shifted to the lower floor. The college was mm-hmm. a fantastic ecosystem. I made my first best friends in life there. Mm-hmm. Um, one simple example of empathy is over four years, not even once today I had to ask any friend to carry my bag. I would drive a scooty, my friend would take the bag automatically. Right. And you know, uh, why is that important? Because you know, I can ask my friend to take the bag and he would take it, but you should understand why I would be shy about asking it. Right. Okay, and that's for a guy. Uh, imagine for a girl right now, uh, yeah. how tougher it can get. uh so effectively and my bag would usually be heavier than others because it'd be mm. carrying a medical kit uh you know a tiffin box uh, because i can't eat out then the books uh so it it creates all the more complexities and right. i think that little empathy from the three or four friends uh, the little empathy from college played much much greater role mm. uh, than any brains that i had uh so i wrapped up my engineering uh, college uh, i was arrogant enough back then to oh. not claim reservation so i wrote the cat exam without the physical disability reservation hmm. i secured 97 percentile on new year 2006 and didn't get a single im call so i did the next best thing that every andhra guy would do or a telangana guy would do uh, which is jump chilani to us uh, so i went to the us with a heart that was still in the mba uh, because you know i was I got into electrical engineering course, but if there was one thing in life that I was not born to do, that was electrical engineering. Uh, but my dad kept telling that, yeah, yeah. So, but my dad kept telling that, you know, uh, in order, for, if you can do something that you don't like with discipline and you know do it well, uh, then people will start to trust you, and then mm-hmm. the things that you love doing, you'll absolutely excel in it. So he gave that weird philosophy, and I was young enough to believe in that back then, and uh, I had uh, excelled in college. and then when the im calls didn't come i decided i'll uh, step into the us for my masters the day i stepped into the us lehman brothers in us collapsed uh, september 19th yeah. uh, 2007 7 yeah and the world went into a recession and uh, effectively i had my masters but every day literally was like you know what is going to happen will i get a job will there be an internship what is life around here of course there are facilities and all but if i don't get food into my mouth uh how what do i do with a wheelchair that goes up and down in a ramp so i needed a backup option uh, so i kept looking for backup options the two opportunities are you do a phd in the us and settle down as a professor mm-hmm. or you go back and look at your passion which is the which back then for me was get into business and do the mba uh so back then my friend just made a casual remark saying if you do phd and all nobody will marry you uh, it will take about 5 years so just you know let's not do that so we wrote the gmat exam 
uh, I secured a 720 on 800 in the first attempt and mm. then shot an email to ISB checking would they be comfortable comfortable enough to accept my application with minimal experience. Right. Uh, I met one Mr. Srinath sir uh, who was then the senior admissions director mm. uh, who said, you know, it's not the experience or the volume, it's the quality. He was an absolute god because at that moment to say that sentence turned around my life big time. Uh, then I had the confidence to go ahead and apply with minimal experience. Mm. I cleared the interview with ISB back then. I was the youngest person to be admitted into ISB and uh, graduated with a scholarship, um, got my job with Deloitte, uh, worked there. And uh, then, like I said, parallelly, the vision was that, you know, not, I, I hope that at the end of my life, people don't think, uh, you know, it was all because of luck. I think it was one because of my family's belief that education will turn around lives mm. Two people who were extremely empathetic and were ready to help even without asking. And what people should realize is uh, there are four kinds of people in the world. Uh, those whom you ask for help and therefore help those who you ask for help and still they don't help uh, those who you don't ask, they help don't ask, don't help. So I think I was fortunate to have people in second quadrant where you know, right. I didn't ask for help but I still found people to help. Yes. There I give in to the luck part. I was fortunate, uh, but my family took the first step by putting into the education field. Mm. And I found my friends. Uh, then I found uh, people like Srinath sir. I found people uh, in the US who would uh, give me research scholarship, trusting my ability. Uh, then I found the interviewer at Deloitte. I found the canteen owner. Right. I think what happens a lot of times is people are scared whether things will work. Uh, when you kind of... <laughs> take a risky decision, people often wonder whether things will work. Right. My philosophy after having seen life so far is you take the first step mm. and you know, things that you did not, did not even imagine will happen, mm. will happen. Like for instance, on the day I had decided to go to the US, I had no inkling that Antarctica would be a part of my life. Right. How it all shaped up, uh, I, even if I had to write my own story in a crazy way, uh, I wouldn't write it that way. Mm. So one learning I have from my life is when you really want to do something but are really afraid of what the end result would be, right. do not worry on the result because like I said, in the end, uh, nothing matters. Mm. Take the first step and you will find five or six people who will come and take your story along into unimaginable heights. That's, that's what right. I believed. Perfect, perfect. Keeping in tradition with the non-linear way of this uh, uh, podcast episode, let us jump to uh, the Amir Khan thing. How did that come across? You were a guest on the Satyamev Jayate show, uh, but you were a consultant, obviously. Yes. But how did you end up being a guest and how was that yes. experience like? What is Amir Khan like? Tell, tell us all about it, sir. So again, uh, going back to that story on skydiving, mm. uh, when that went viral, Obviously, there was a lot of news media attention. Uh, people were like, you know, this guy skydived uh, and pursued his master's in the U.S. with the scholarship. Right. Uh, parallelly in the country, the Anna Hazari movement was happening. <clears throat> there was like a lot of social consciousness on yep. where we as a society were heading. Right. And uh, based on, you know, uh, back then, Satyamayu Jayate, when it was launching, mm -hmm. I think it was launching on a set of issues that was affecting a large number of people right and the largest number of people who were getting affected uh, on social issues were one women mm. uh, followed by uh, you know sexual abuse on children right uh, then immediately followed by dowry and fourth was disability mm. and uh, 
we were probably the what not were we are actually probably the single largest minority in the country forget caste forget religion right. uh, at least 3% or you know 5% of india we don't even know the numbers okay so effectively uh, i don't know the numbers we don't till i think about 10 years back hmm. till about 10 years back uh, hindi language didn't even have a sensitive word for something called mental disability okay the wow. word mental disability or mental challenge uh, we would either call it as pagal uh, so imagine you go to the uh, you conduct census and uh, you know people come to count people at your home and you have to count people with mental disabilities you literally have to ask kya aapke ghar mein pagal rehte hain ya kya aapke ghar mein aisa bachcha hai jiska manasik santulan bigad gaya okay so how do you actually ask when you can't ask you can't count when you can't count you don't know the numbers when you don't know the numbers you can't formulate policies the the society so that, that sorry the society that doesn't talk about these issues will not have these words in the vocabulary in the whatever the language <laughs> exactly. they speak right? exactly. so exactly so even like uh, you know uh, till i finished college the word was handicapped Mm. uh then it became disabled then it became physically challenged now it's person with disability mm. i wonder why is it so difficult to call me as sai my name is sai i have a name yeah. at the end of the day okay yeah. so effectively uh, people just don't call uh, others by name uh, when a person has a disability okay the right. wheelchair guy or whatever it is okay so effectively uh, getting back so disability was uh, the fourth biggest issue back then mm. and mm. Uh, at isb i had also worked on a big project where mm-hmm. we were looking at how do we employ people with disabilities right. as soon as possible in other right. words uh, we were looking at you know uh, my case was a case of uh, where i was educated and therefore i was getting employed mm. uh, when i am educated and don't get employed that's a discrimination problem yeah okay when i am not educated and employed that's a charity case yeah uh, and but i am not educated and not employed that is where bulk of india lies mm. so how do i ensure that a generation of people who are in millions across you know genders societal barriers they are not even at one place they are spread all over the country mm. so this uneducated unemployed segment how do i bring them into the sector that is one of the probably not that was the motivating factor for me to get into the mba program and right. i had worked on a project called the experiential learning project i think mm-hmm. a credit also goes to my entire team at isb and one mr sharma sir who had coordinated this project with the ministry right. as well as the wadwani center for entrepreneurship we had come together to try and find out what would be the best sector mm-hmm. uh, and let me kind of give you the stigma issue again so uh, i had realized through my analysis back then that it is absolutely going to be very difficult to employ thousands and thousands of people who are aged 35 to 45 hmm. and train them on technology skill sets and employ them in the it sector right so the least uh, so i was looking at the ideal industry that would require probably 15 20 days of training and hmm. then immediately can absorb these people hmm. and one such sector was the hospitality sector mm-hmm. and in the hospitality industry uh, whether it be laundry uh, you know there were about uh, we could go ahead and train uh people young people with mental disabilities right. uh, to run a laundromat uh, mm-hmm. where the activity was just take the cloth put it in the machine take the cloth put it back into the basket right and that was a very sustainable way of running the employment but uh when i brought this idea forward and ran it through ran it as a pilot with one community the first feedback that i got with the parent was mera beta do bhi nahi hai uh, my son is not going to be a washerman 
uh, if you have become a management consultant, I want him to become a management consultant as well. Right. And that's why I had the problem with the word inspiration because mm. effectively we have our uh, dreams higher, but sometimes it is important to have dreams that are realistic. Mm. And because as a community, if three to five percent of our country that is suffering from disability has to be employed. We have to keep the stigma, dignity of labor issues, the ego and the arrogance aside and think of one community, one country. Right. And I think uh, that project taught me a lot. I had plenty of insights. I published that paper. Uh, the then Home Minister, Mr. P.J. Namaram, also had uh, got the opportunity to read the report and he gave me an award for that. Mm. And uh, subsequently, the American production team, when they were looking at this issue, also had the opportunity to read this report because it was on the internet right. and they had called me uh, for details on the same mm. and they had my profile as well and uh, one plus one connected and uh, I was on the show for the country to see. Wow. And I have uh, seen that episode, saw that episode long time ago and again, saw that episode just for the research of this particular podcast. But I would, uh, I would, I would, I would include the links in the description, folks. Those who are listening and uh, watching, uh, let's let. And you are also a startup founder, right? Tell us about your startups, right? Sahasra and GMAT Analytics, yes. right? So, what is Sahasra about? I, and I am yeah. asking this genuinely because I totally forgot what it was, and you had told me once. Okay, so Sahasra started uh, almost eleven years back. Right. Uh, so effectively, it all came because you know of the thought that the amount of difficulties that I faced, whether it be financially, emotionally, physically, or mentally to get mm. my education done. Mm. I didn't want another student to face the same, at least another one, another student to face the same. That's how it started. So I went to my college and uh, I thought I can run through my life story mm. of what happened in the U S how, you know, I had beaten the odds to graduate from a top university there. And, uh, you know, the college more than come to do the session. Right. Uh, there were 700 students keen to listen uh, mm. to the story that I had to share. Uh, but then at that moment, I also realized I really don't want to do this for free. Uh, I want to charge for the session uh, because the auditorium capacity was roughly about 500 or 600 people. Right. right. Uh, so I thought maybe if I can put in a minimal fee of about 500 or 1000 rupees, mm. then people, you know, if they pay the pooled money, I'll give it back as a scholarship to another student like me on a need come merit basis. Mm. Uh, since it was my college, uh, it worked out well because the brand was big and uh, there were about, I think, around 700 people who paid a big amount. We pulled the money, we opened a corpus fund mm. and that went off big. And subsequent to that year was when I joined ISB. And uh, again, I ran through the idea with my professor and he saw a model where I could do a large amount of good in a short amount of time. So we experimented with another uh, college uh, called Jean. It's Naranama College. Right. Uh, there was a madam called Aparna Madam uh, who provided me the opportunity to do that. And uh, this time we experimented with a model where we limited it to 300 people at the rate 500 bucks each. Right. And we pulled about one and a half lakhs and gave it back on the same day. So slowly what had happened was that uh, we were reaching out to this huge number of people. Mm. Uh, obviously, featuring on the Satyamev Jayate also meant that people really wanted to hear the story that I had. Mm. Uh, so effectively, in a span of about, I think, nine months or 10 months back, then I had reached close to 10,000 people, shared the right. story. And uh, like I said, uh, the ability of people to see my story kindly and empathize with me, uh, you know, uh, brought them the necessary motivation and inspiration. Hmm. And I was functioning as an instrument to tell that if I could do it, uh, you all can do it as well. That was the broad theme. 
right and uh, then one and one added i think i was at tirupati uh, to do a session uh, for about 1000 people yeah that tedx uh, subsequently i think on the same day or exactly. subsequently exactly where i bumped yeah, into you yeah yeah exactly that's where we connected and uh, over the last 10 years i think we had raised close to it connected with close to about 25 30000 people there was this huge event at ramkrishna math uh, on uh, the videos available on youtube for about one and a half hours it's a speech that i give usually it's yeah. also available for free to see on career planning and how life spans out in engineering and uh, yep the about just to give the rough numbers i think about 200 to 250 people have been provided scholarships or project support or higher education support uh, and the amount of scholarship money we raised so far should be anywhere between 90 lakhs to 1.1 crores roughly so that's wow. over 10 year period and you have helped many many students through that i think the students helped themselves uh, mm. it's not a money they they just were patient enough to sit through a one and a half hour session so right. um, i think looking back the credit should also go to my professor who said uh, you know the word sahasra means a new beginning the word sahasra mm. also means thousand right uh, so effectively he said let this thousand rupee be for a new beginning and that's how the name originated right. and and, uh, and you you're doing the gmat thing parallelly right is it still up um, and yes, how, yes. how are you managing yes. that startup with uh, the, i'm very interested in the gmat startup and how is it going the, on in the in the covid how are you managing that particular thing the same old yeah. zoom or so one of yeah so one of the things is again when i had to go to the antarctic uh, i had to raise close to about 20 25 lakhs of money right and uh, sahasra was completely a not for profit approach so i really didn't want to uh take money from there and go to the antarctic so the alternate for me was you know as an isb graduate i needed to raise money very fast mm-hmm. and one way i thought was if i could train out people on the gmat and charge them on the same uh, i would be, i should be able to make money and uh, that's why i put up a status on facebook as well as on pagal guy uh saying that you know i will train people on the gmat for free but if you score a, a specific target then i'd be charging you 25 or 30k uh the batch one happened and uh, there are about 45 50 people who turned up uh, they scored they paid antarctica happened uh then the word of mouth came in uh, that became batch 2 batch 2 became batch 3 uh so with the money i bought my first house and uh, so i start i needed to pay my home loan now so batch 3 became 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 then i had left it for about a couple of years because i was doing assignments in the us mm. and uh, post my work in the us uh, once again when i returned to india uh i had restarted training on the gmat over the weekends uh, currently we are through with 78 batches wow uh, i think every year at least uh 7 as of last year 50 people who are sitting in isb have come from the academy these include the uh, all the three people with disabilities who have joined the school after right. me right uh this also include the uh, people from some extremely underprivileged backgrounds uh so i would love to say it's a super 30 model but Uh, it's more or less a super 100 model where we take mm-hmm. uh, 100 people and take if need be one year two years two and a half years to train and uh, see how it goes so the academy is in kachiboli it is still functional uh, on the basically it runs 24 used, bar 7 used there, to be called, used know, to be in the, jubilee hills where yeah. when i used to attend for one of the it used to be in jubilee hills yes 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 it used to be in jubilee hills good memory man yes it used to be in jubilee hills and uh, now we have our own academy in gachiboli it's open 24 bar 7 uh it's it's almost like has become like the next aromale or uh, mm. another hangout point for many people uh of course during the lockdown period it was shut down but uh, people have managed to use it almost like a second home 
uh, where they just come down and uh, sit down and study in the calm. And, uh, so uh, I, if you just bump into Gachiboli any day. I remember, yeah. I remember driving uh, every early morning on the weekend and arriving 10 minutes late because, you know, I was stupid and young back then. And, <laughs> and that was, that was my only test with Jubilee Hills. I, I never, I never imagined that I would attend a GMAT class in Jubilee Hills because the only thing I associate Jubilee Hills with, with celebrity houses. And that was, that was my memory. And this is, I'm talking about 2013, right? And that, that is where, and guys, yeah. uh, because I've attended this class, I don't remember what my batch number was, but let me assure you, this is nothing like Narayana and Chaitanya that you see here. I don't care if they both come and sue me. I don't care. Right. But yeah, I can assure you that these classes are different. Uh, moving on, moving on, moving on to uh, the most important question that I would write, like to get in your insights on, right? What are the infrastructural differences between India and let's not compare with foreign countries, but I don't know if you have traveled to countries which are kind of equivalent to India, but are better in the way they accommodate the needs of the disabled uh, people, right? So what can you tell about the differences and tell us about the things but we, that we can do, but we choose, and ign- we choose to ignore them and not do it? You don't really need to travel to other countries, Najib, to see what we could do better, even within our own country, right? Mm. Uh, you could see very stark differences between places. Uh, let me give you the first example of where things could be better. Uh, it could be one Tirupati itself, uh, just as mm. an example. So uh, it's a temple. It's an age-old temple. There are thousands and thousands of old people visiting. There are thousands of people who are with disabilities visiting. If that environment could be made a little accessible and millions of people are going to see it as an advertisement. And when they see that as an advertisement and see how it can be done uh, and done well, I think it will go a long, long way into sending a message to people on how it should be empathetic. Right. I've visited uh, you know, Tirupati five, six times and people get carried into the temple. I, I don't mean anything wrong by that, but I have to tell that it is much more simpler to build a solution then keep challenging ourselves in the name of tradition again and again. Another stark difference is, let's look at a top class hospital. A top class hospital has ramps, but a local clinic does not have ramps. Okay, why is that? Okay, I understand, again, the doctor might not be able to afford it, but the person who built the building, okay, when he built it, he should have built it with proper access. Uh, When you go into rural areas, things are even worse. I think... Uh, it is going to be a chicken and egg problem uh, mm. where, you, you know, when I ask, when I asked a particular college, why don't they build, you know, uh, proper facilities for people with disabilities? The principal simply responded saying uh, there is a 3% reservation for candidates with disabilities. Right. I get about, you know, 1000 people per year. Mm. Uh, so I get about 30 people mm. every year. Mm. So for 30 people, I can't change a 20 year old college. Right. Okay. Uh, and he said, we don't even get 30 people at the end of the day. We get three or four people. But when I asked these people, these uh, on the other end, when I had the good fortune of meeting people with disabilities and asked, why didn't you visit college? Their first co- answer was, the college does not have facilities to support a person like me. So effectively, it's a chicken and egg. Here they say that we don't have candidates. There they say that, you know, we don't have the facilities. No, so I, think I, 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 I believe I, I, I have to kind of disagree here. It is definitely the chicken, right? Because the college didn't build it. <laughs> the egg didn't come. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, go yeah. on. Yeah. So, so effectively, I think that is, that is where the problem, uh, you know, is going round and round. At the end mm. of the day, I think uh, one classic example at the risk of uh, sounding 
uh, advertising oriented as isb itself because mm-hmm. when they built a facility uh, what they did was to send out a message that my admit into isb was not made on reservation looking back at my years i am actually thankful that i didn't cut through uh, an iim because even if i had graduated people would still have that underlying current saying mm-hmm. probably he cut through because of reservation mm-hmm. but at isb you do not even raise that question at the end of the day right. uh, they you know built the facilities that are required for me and not just me but post me there were four people and when people like me end up at the highest levels of an organization uh, what we do is we can sensitize others that yes. this is possible uh, so uh if you know over the last few years you know whether it be facebook or instagram uh even if let us say 100 150 people saw the story uh, they become all the more sensitive uh, so it was not a matter of one person uh, like the principal thought all those years back it's a matter of one person being able to influence uh, hundreds and thousands of people in and around him or her right so effectively uh, i think the transformation like you said should come with the chicken uh, institutions must take responsibility to transform their infrastructure uh, there are places that are doing it or they are doing it because it's good for their business yes okay. uh, it is a selfish reason but nevertheless they are doing it uh, i think if we can look beyond selfishness and say let's do it because it's the right thing to do and if we can incorporate and encourage more designers architects policy makers policy enforcers entrepreneurs to challenge uh, the status quo i think more and more people would come uh, into the system and it will create that avalanche effect and uh, the gentle closure would be sooner or later everybody will become old and everybody will become disabled that's the last mm-hmm. step before you die yeah. so yeah. if you build a system today or uh, tomorrow you will find that system to be useful here's the thing here's too. the thing sir so you're talking about stage. you you you're you're talking about these massive buildings and infrastructure let us look at our own homes right so this is something that i realized yeah. when uh, I, I, when when i saw a couple of my grandmas who were absolutely struggling to walk and they refused to visit certain homes mm-hmm. because they they can't get in the house right and our very houses yeah, yeah, yeah. are anti disabled uh, you know the least accommodative houses is what we have what is the point of having a gadappa in telugu or a dehli is in in hindi which which is literally yeah. a blockage for person who can't even take his leg off the ground right no ramps are our own houses our own flats our own apartments disabled friendly that is something the that is the that, that, i think uh, i think that is that is a place where we can get started right in the first place no uh, i'll tell you something a little more serious than that najee Mm. uh let us accept that it is not friendly but mm. then even if i want to overcome that mm. no just giving you a case scenario without taking names mm. imagine a girl wants to go and write an exam okay and let me give you two cases a girl with a visual disability a girl with an orthopedic disability right and she has to go and write an exam and you know now the exam is on the third floor mm. so someone has to carry her yes you know now in the absence no woman is going to carry that girl okay college student she won't be able to so a man has mm. to carry her mm. now imagine the fear of a family that a girl has to be carried okay literally three floors no matter how good in character the other person is there is right. that fear uh, inside and that you know why would people take a risk right okay and when you don't take a risk about a young person going to college forget everything about uh, old people and how their inability to come out is right now when it comes down to visual disability till the day of the exam 
people do not know whether a scribe is going to come down or not every year i see mm. people putting up statuses saying there is an exam is there a scribe available is there a scribe available right uh, you know just imagine the tension of the parents not only now should i study i should also be worried whether the person who is going to write my exam is going to come down yes so i think i'm it's not much to ask to allow people to live without fear right uh, i have probably sort of given up on hope that the infrastructure is going to turn around because unless uh-huh. all the old buildings collapse because of an earthquake or an awesome architect comes up and says you know there is universal inclusive design that we should include and that will be because of low cost i don't see any old grandmas coming out and doing disco dance on the road that's not going to happen uh-huh. but you can get uh, young women out to college safely young guys out to college safely you know effectively you can make parents not be afraid of what will happen to their child when they go to school uh-huh. uh, you can reduce the amount of stigma that can happen i mean these are human sensitivity issues that we as a society have become let us say indifferent to yeah and i think a part of all this venting out and voicing these concerns and i'm thankful to you also for hosting this session is to keep that voice and keep that thought alive yes. because a, a change can happen only when the idea is still alive hmm. and uh, you know voices like me and hopefully voices of hundreds of people out there who are silent will come out because of the internet revolution because now they can write they can type yes. i had four friends when i graduated out of college today i have 5000 people on facebook uh, and you know 2000 people on insta who will look at my post right and that has given me access for a voice and i think that as long as we keep the idea alive through voice sooner or later the change will happen but this mm-hmm. first change that could happen immediately probably right after this podcast is can we speak a little more sensitively to the person who is next to us right. and can we do a help unasked uh, because the heart will scream please help me right. but the ego will say no i won't ask yeah and you taking that little hand and helping that person out uh, can change the world right and it's just that the normal things that our uh, society is literally not helping uh, people with disabilities right i mean the simple act of taking a bus from place a to place b the bus stop and mm-hmm. the, the the act mm-hmm. of climbing the bus from the bus stop not helpful the act uh-huh. of climbing a city a city train from the platform to the train not helpful right you, the the true, very true. the the very uh, you know i mean i the so many very simple things that we take for completely granted right the the act of Absolutely. going to a theater at the drop of a drop of a hat right so i absolutely like uh, i i can just go on and on but where, where what can be done is there a campaign sort of thing that we uh, that that you plan to launch what is your ultimate goal right so what what is your ultimate master grand mega plan and if you are the king of this country for 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 the next 15 10 15 years what would you do see uh, i i have a strong feeling uh, that uh, the best revolution that can happen is when an individual thinks for himself mm. in other words if i stand on a uh, stage and scream problems out at 300 people Uh, that's never going to solve a problem right if my father never had me as a son hmm. probably he would never have understood what an issue with a disability is right i think uh, the single biggest revolution that can happen is twofold one we as a culture and in our education system 
should make young children empathetic towards how right. different and how challenging other people's lives could be hmm. i mean i learned a lot of useless trigonometry calculus and a lot of stuff but i think if i had about 10 classes telling me very early on in childhood that there are going to be 10 people in the world that who are different from you yeah and these are the five kind things that you can say <laughs> and you know having a if i could make one law mandatory i would say say five kind things to people uh, mm. on your own make it a habit and slowly it will build uh, the second thing is accountability i'm i'm serious believer in the field uh, that when things do not happen in the right way people should know whom to complain to right uh, we are either driven by uh, let us say an incentive or selfishness to do well or the fear that if things go wrong i'm going to be punished as a culture i think uh, we are trying to believe in the inherent goodness of a human being right but human beings can only be as good as the situation to be so when the situation does not allow uh which is happening to be the case because there is no resource for us mm. i think one incentive is try and teach during childhood saying that uh, we can share this planet kindly empathetically with people and when you don't follow that rule uh someone's neck is going to be on the line uh, starting with the school principal saying if the school has no accessibility ouch uh, you lose your job right. uh, if the university is not having an elevator i am very shocked uh, to look at some colleges that say the elevator is for staff members only the elevators are supposed to be for people who have disabilities okay uh, the malls the parking areas around the malls ask the more places where the public is uh, effectively uh, simply put two thoughts give empathy as a way of life and teach right. empathy as a way of life Mm. during school times and build young children who are sensitive mm. and to ensure that at a policy level if something is not implemented i know the one phone number uh, that should be called mm. for action to be taken mm. so if you drive on the fear angle and drive on the incentive angle i think sooner or later the problem will disappear right right i hope that problem disappears sir i don't know how hopeful you are i don't uh, but you people like you make me hopeful and may more people come out from your story and your inspiration and make even more number of people hopeful i think this has been a brilliant brilliant podcast one of the most articulate guests i have ever had is you sir thank you very much for doing this thank you very much for your time uh, how can we find you on the online space if you can mention please so <laughs> my facebook is facebook.com/celebratinglife.sai right uh, email id is happy.blissful uh, hapy dot blissful it's spelled right. wrong it's double s double l right. at gmail dot com hmm. Instagram same id happy dot blissful and LinkedIn uh, I think it's LinkedIn dot com slash in slash s prasad v right or just Google my name that should be fine yeah, yeah. Google Google his name Google his uh, episode uh, with on the Satyamev Jayate with Amir Khan forget about all the gurus in in this country this is the guru you need ladies and gents that's it from the Solo Covers yes. podcast till we see you next time bye everyone.